Welcome to Appalachian Outdoor Recipe, where we encourage you to get outside and keep going outside. Here we will share App State stories that entertain, inspire, and inform listeners about living an active outdoor lifestyle. Each episode features a story with the goal to get you outside and keep you going outside to improve your overall wellness. This podcast is presented by the Hope Lab, where our purpose is to investigate the role of outdoor physical activity, exercise, and play on health, the environment, and human development. The vision of the Hope Lab is to continue developing the foundation for promoting and supporting outdoor physical activity, exercise, and play through interdisciplinary research. Feel free to check us out at hopelab.appstate.edu. Hi, my name is Becky Batista. I am a professor in exercise science at Appalachian State University and a self-proclaimed outdoor physical activity addict. I'm your host for today's episode of the Appalachian Outdoorosity podcast. On today's episode, team member Dr. Joy James, a professor in recreation management, interviews her former recreation management student, Mary Bowman. This is a different take for our podcast where we highlight Mary's RMPE departmental honors thesis. She worked on a project with the Hope Lab team. Then as part of a class project, she created a podcast about her research. When Joy heard the podcast, she knew we had to highlight it here on Appalachian Outdoorosity. So it's Joy James here uh, on Outdoorosity. We're so excited today. Our guest is Mary Bowman, who's a recent graduate from um, Appalachian State University in recreation management. Uh, so I'm going to let Mary kind of introduce herself. Both of us are having trouble because we, we giggle a lot. So listeners, be prepared for that. So Mary, if you'll introduce yourself and tell us uh, where you're from and what your favorite outdoor recreation activity is. I am Mary Bowman. I am from Cary. So Mary from Cary. Um, I yeah just graduated from App in May. Um, went there because at the time I was undecided um, and thought that I could really get a good um, kind of liberal arts experience, found um, recreation management and just fit right in. Yeah, my favorite recreation activity is backpacking. Haven't done it in a while. Work's really taken it out of me, but um, really happy to get back into it in the coming season. Mary, share with us what you're doing for work, too. I think that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I am working at Grandfather Mountain Stewardship Foundation as an environmental educator. Um, so we get groups at the mountain that are school groups, but also just um, some other groups that come and we do some uh, environmental education. So programs going outside as much as we can. Cool. I know it's a cool job. I love grandfather. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Tell us how you first got interested in the outdoors. Like what experiences or what's a story that you would be willing to share that helped you kind of realize the outdoors was a path that you wanted to pursue both personally and professionally? Yeah. So I am the only daughter uh, with two older brothers who were actively involved in scouting. And I would always tag along on a bunch of their trips, especially when my dad became a scoutmaster. And so I kind of was an honorary scout um, when I was a kid and tried my hand at Girl Scouts. And it wasn't the path that really called to me. And so when I was old enough, I joined Venture Scouts. Um, which is a um, high adventure co-ed um, youth-led form of scouting and really, really just found my calling there. I did uh, Seabase, I did Philmont, I did um, Northern Tier during the winter. Um, so I did all of the extremes. I was super hot. I was super cold. I was very tired the entire time. Um, but I, I found while I was doing that, um, especially as I aged up within the crew, that I loved when we got new scouts in and I had to kind of guide them through everything and 
like start like, oh, this is how you camp. This is how you set up a tent. This is the best way to leave no trace. All this kind of stuff. I realized I could make a profession out of it by going to national parks and seeing the interpretive park rangers. I was like, this is yes. (laughs) So yeah. Yes, please sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It's outdoorosity. We haven't really talked to people who've come up through the scouting movement, let alone Boy Scouts and Venture Scouts before the Boy Scouts kind of accepted both um, girls and boys. And would you say Boy Scout is where you learned how to backpack or were you backpacking before that? Um, it was because of scouting that I learned how to backpack. My dad would kind of take our family to scout out the trails that they would go out with the scouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we did a we did a few trails like that, but it was really once I started getting into scouting myself and when we needed to go to Philmont and do all of those prep hikes that I really kind of fell in love with backpacking. I could talk about this a longer time. Uh, unfortunately, I can't talk to you longer because <laughs> I brought you on this podcast to help showcase an assignment that you did as part of um, a class you were in with me. <laughs> and also, Mary did her departmental honors thesis with the Hope Lab, who's a sponsor of Outdoorosity. And also part of the assignment that I had in a class was to do a podcast. And Mary was brilliant, and she combined her research for her honors thesis was some of the work that she was doing in this other class with me. And one of these assignments was to create a podcast. And this podcast was so good. And it really kind of (laughs) showcases not only the work that you did, Mary, it showcases what the Hope Lab is all about and trying to help people become more comfortable in the outdoors. And so I really wanted to share this podcast that you created with the Outdooriosity listeners. So before we kind of give them a a taste of of the podcast, in your own words, frame or set the picture for us. I was like, when you created the podcast, what were you going for? And just kind of set the tone because I know you you approached it from a different way and had a unique take on the assignment. So I'll let you share from there. Yeah. Well, first, I want to say that the biggest struggle with this assignment was the time limit (laughs) that was set on it. Because once I started like writing my script and everything, I was like, I, this is way too long. I think it ended up being like six or so minutes longer than it needed to be, which is just me talking, which is a lot. It was, um, it, it was fine that you went over. It was a 10 minute limit. And I was so engaged as I hope the audience will be engaged with your talking. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I tried to, um, approach it with kind of like it was more like a like a newspaper sort of like column kind of thing where um there's this setup where every week there's a, another time that we talk about a topic um associated with app state and um i was the host and <laughs> the guest on my podcast so um <laughs> i kind of focused on um the research that i had been doing with joy james and um kind of just also a little bit of my experience in connecting the class with my experience in the outdoors. And yeah, I just kind of had a lot of fun. I tried to make it as alliterative as possible. So it's like mumbling that new minutes. And (laughs) I hope you can hear me because I am talking very low. (laughs) (laughs) She's an Appalachian mountain mumbler. Um, But no, uh, so what we're going to do at this point is switch over to that podcast uh, to let the listeners listen, and then we're going to come back and talk with Mary. So have a listen. (laughs) 
hail and well-met fellow MNMs. I am your host, Mumbler, and this is your podcast, Mumbling Mountaineer Minutes. For any new listeners tuning in, the Mumbling Mountaineer Minutes podcast is my show, where I get people talking in low voices about fascinating topics across campus. Last week, we had Dr. H, one of App State's very own I.O. psychologists, talking about the organizational structure of the university. As a psych minor, I found that very interesting, and I hope you all did as well. So go back and give that one a listen if you haven't already. Moving into today's topic, we've got a student doing some research on physical activity levels in classrooms. Children's and even adults' physical activity levels have been decreasing over the last few decades, and now researchers are trying to find ways to get kids more active. One such researcher is focusing on how first grade students perceive the incorporation of movement into science lessons. Are they engaged, learning more, being more active? All these questions and more we will explore during this episode. So without further ado, it is time to introduce our guest for today. Mary Bowman, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, let me thank you for having me today. Uh, Longtime listener and all that. I love to hear that. But uh, yeah, so I am a senior recreation management student with a concentration in park and recreation management with dreams of being an interpretive park ranger. I've been working with doctors James and Towner and the Hope or Healthy Outdoor Play and Exercise Lab to kind of examine these questions a little bit more. Wowee, senior, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're graduating uh, this spring. Oh, so yeah, less than two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about how kids' activity in classrooms impacts your field, like recreation, national parks, that kind of stuff. Sure. So a lot of research shows that children who get exposure to physical activity throughout their childhood are more likely to remain active later in life. That's kind of the interest that I took in this. And because children aren't being as active and especially not getting outdoors as much in the same droves, Um, There is a concern about their health, but also something that we're kind of seeing in recreation is that there's a lot less awareness of outdoor recreational activities. People may know the premise of these activities, such as backpacking, rock climbing, and mountain biking, um, but not so much as how to, like, get in. So part of what I'm actually interested in is helping to introduce kids to these concepts. And actually, something I worked on with Dr. James before is an event called Outdoor Expo, where I and two other college students went to the Appalachian Academy at Middle Fork, which is actually where the research for my thesis thesis took place. And uh, we showed them a couple of outdoor activities, ways to be active. We had an inflatable Gaga ball pit. Um, One of the students was teaching about knots, one about packing a backpack. And so we were having all these kids walk around in like partially packed backpacks. And it was like really cute. Um, But then I was giving a little introduction to Leave No Trace. So great time all around. But we noticed that there wasn't a lot of awareness of the possibilities of outdoor recreation. So there's a lot of interconnectedness that people don't really think about. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's just habits, right? If kids make habits of getting outdoors, then they're going to be more likely to continue those habits throughout their life. So here comes the question. What did you do as a kid? Oh, (laughs) I, um, okay, let's see. I played a lot in the creek behind my house. Um, You could even say I was an executive chef at the Mud Pie restaurant in my backyard. Um, And as I got older, I got involved in scouting, Um, mainly uh, boy scouting, like that kind of branch, not as much as girl scouting. 
So I did more camping, hiking, backpacking, fishing, scuba diving, climbing, just a little bit of everything. Oh, okay. So quite the diverse spread. Have you continued these into your college life? Yes. Not as much as I would have liked with like classes and work and whatnot getting in the way, but yes. What about you? Oh, no. Um, Let's see. I did a lot of just going to my local park. Um, My parents took us out for walks quite a bit. Um, Oh, and there was a lake there. So you could rent canoes and kind of paddle around. But uh, same as you, I've had a bit of shift in focus during my time here at App. Understandable. I'm I'm right there with you. But um, but hey, hit me up and we'll we should go for a paddle sometime. You know what? I might just take you up on that. But there is something that I want to get back to uh, just a little bit. You mentioned that there wasn't as much awareness of some of these recreational activities. Can you dive more into that? What are the challenges that the recreation field is facing as a result of low physical activity levels in children? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah, it is a little bit of a big question, huh? Sorry. Um, This is just a fascinating topic, and the question just kind of developed more as I was talking. No, you're you're all good. Uh, I'm just, I'm but a wee undergraduate student, so I'll do my best. Right. Um, so kids who aren't getting the recommended 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per day are more at risk for a whole range of health challenges. And there is the aspect that kids aren't learning a lot about these recreational activities. So if they ever get into backpacking, hiking, climbing, these sorts of contexts, they have to overcome the physicality aspect and the knowledge aspect. So so both of those. Um And both can be addressed, but it does bring on this question of safety. People can see the outdoor rec industry as sort of this like in group. And in a respect, there is a group that is like in the know and not. Um, There's a lot of terminology that people need to be aware of, protocols and behaviors that should be followed, lest you risk life and limb. Um, So the challenge that recreation faces specifically is how to get kids introduced to these concepts to lower their risk of health stuff and to keep them safer out in these contexts. And there have been a lot of great programs which aim to do just that. Um, National parks are working with local schools during the off-season, other events like the Outdoor Expo that I put on, um, and like other stuff like that. The other aspect of this, though, is how do you get kids engaged in outdoor activities? Like kids these days and, you know, also like us um tvs phones tiktok video games and all of that it's all more immediate gratification that is hard to tear kids away from um so that is what recreation professionals have to struggle with wow interesting okay so it it's challenging to get kids engaged and aware of some of these outdoor activities yeah but research reiterates time and time again what benefits everyone not just kids get from getting outside and getting active Right, of course. Even with the little background I have in this topic, it's generally a well-known thing. Like, I might not know all the specifics, but people know that there are benefits to getting outside, getting active. Right. What are all the angles? I mean, during my time hosting this podcast, I've rarely encountered a topic that didn't have criticisms. Sure, and I would be interested on your thoughts on this because I've drunk the proverbial Kool-Aid and I'm bought in. Um, I've been working on this research for a long time, and it's all that occupies my thoughts. Um, I do want to emphasize that I'm not saying that indoor activity is not good. Really, any activity is beneficial. It's just that outdoor activity has all the benefits of, like, 
base level activity coupled with the benefits of being outdoors. Oh, okay. So that's actually what I was going to say. Like, what is wrong with indoor activity? Right. So there's nothing wrong with indoor activity. That is actually kind of what the research I was working on with Dr. James focused on. So since it was a pilot study that took place during November, there wasn't a lot of outdoor activity. What the surveys ended up analyzing was student perceptions of enjoyment in an indoor active lesson versus indoor non-active lesson. Ah, okay, interesting. So you and I know that there are benefits of being active and being active in the outdoors. What can, say, recreation professionals do to try to solve this? So funny you say that. I recently had the opportunity to host a discussion about that very topic in my senior seminar class. So I asked my fellow students what we could do to lower the barriers that are preventing kids from participating. Um, And we came up with a decent list. So first, having free or low-cost programs. A lot of outdoor recreation programs and activities require a non-insignificant amount of money, like gear costs, like backpacks, tents, food, boots, clothes, all that kind of stuff. That all racks up really quickly. Um, And that can prevent people from ever being able to participate. But also things like admission fees or tickets to get into get into some of these recreation areas, that can also prevent participation. So we talked about lowering that barrier. Mm, that would be nice. Right. I mean, and it does kind of hint at the sort of cynical perspective that we all have about capitalism. And a lot of us want to break down as many barriers as possible. But we also want to be able to provide quality programming. And that's a lot harder to do when you don't have any money. Right, right. So there are some idealistic solutions going on. Yeah, and I wish I could offer more methods on like how to make those actual changes, but that's above my pay grade. Mine as well. So what else did y'all come up with? Sure. So we also mentioned lowering expectations for kids participating in local parks and rec programs, um, extending more invitations, having club teams as well as ranked teams, and exposure to more sports and activities. So lowering expectations for kids and having club teams is kind of the way that we're trying to create a welcoming environment um, that doesn't have the pressure for achievement. We talked about in class how some of us got burned out playing for teams where all people, parents, and coaches wanted us to do was win. Um, And a lot of times that competitive atmosphere ruined participation. Extending more invitations was trying to tackle the problem that some people don't know what they don't know. Residents may not know everything that their local parks and rec department is offering, and that starts to go deep into more of how can we make recreational spaces more welcoming and inclusive. Something that's fascinating, but we don't have time for. Right. Give me the airspace for that, and this episode would be hours long. So your classmates focus more on the local parks and rec aspect. Yeah, so a lot of our discussions circle around local parks and rec, and that's a great place to focus attention. Get people more active in their community to foster initial relations, and then they can explore more specialized things by branching out. But as someone interested in working with the national park system, I have like a thought or two about what the national park system can do. Yes, please, by all means. So I mentioned a little bit before about how there is often programming with local schools during the off-season at national parks. Right. So essentially, and this doesn't sound very groundbreaking, um, but just continuing that, uh, having more outreach programming, partnerships, and that kind of stuff with local organizations to establish relationships, but also doing it on a larger, more dedicated scale. 
Those programs can create foundational relationships between kids and parks that lead to those habits being created and continued throughout life. There are programs such as Muddy Sneakers and Wild Watch that engage school-age children with outdoor activities and science and then invite them to a site such as Grandfather Mountain Stewardship Foundation to explore more about what they have learned. And these programs teach some environmentally conscious behaviors to ensure their safety in the outdoors and since they're typically school-age children, um, the safety of the outdoors itself. Wow. Okay. Some interesting concepts. And you said money sneakers and... Wild watch. Yeah. Science programming that gets kids outside and interacting with nature. Helping them to foster a sense of appreciation, you could say. Exactly. So we know what students are saying. What is research saying? Right. So kind of what we started talking about, um, researchers are looking at Does physical activity in academic lessons increase enjoyment, learning, and does it actually help them to become more active? Unsurprisingly, the answer is a resounding yes. So some of the studies that I read had researchers putting accelerometers on students and comparing physical activity during the interventions and during a control setting, which was just a typical, like, traditional lesson. Actual steps recorded were higher during the active lessons, students reported higher enjoyment, and overall academic performance was higher. So pretty clear, huh? Right. The obstacle, though, because you might be wondering why haven't we incorporated more physical activity into lessons, is the feasibility of actually implementing these changes. Schools have been focusing more and more on academic performance because that's one of the ways that they get money. Higher-performing schools are eligible for higher funding from state and other external sources. So that's where the focus is, and sometimes it's viewed as radical for schools or teachers to do away with traditional instructional method for something that is still new and doesn't guarantee the school to get money. Schools are so underfunded as is, so I guess focusing on things that won't help them be able to offer resources to their students, it's not going to be on the top of the list. Right. Okay, so research has proven that incorporating physical activity into the classroom increases student enjoyment, engagement, academic achievement, and physical activity. Yes. And people are thinking about and talking about ways to break down the barriers between children and physical activity and getting outside. Yeah, so lowering costs wherever possible, removing some of the competitiveness in local recreation, and engaging with the community to build those relationships and know what resources are available to them. Precisely. All right, Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, You have the floor if you want to make any shout outs. Oh, awesome. Um, So thank you so much for having me. Um, I would like to shout out to doctors James and Towner for their amazing research and perspectives. Also to Stella Sabulski because she's been awesome. Uh, Dr. James's 10 o'clock senior seminar class. Y'all are also amazing. Uh, Mom and dad. Thank you so much for getting me outdoors as a kid. Um, And thank you, listeners. Get up, get out, and I'll see you out there. Wonderful. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. If you have any questions or want to share your stories, go to the link in the description. And you'll hear from me next week as we dive into the mystery of the Durham Park Bigfoot. Remember, stay mumbling. Are you telling me that there have been Bigfoot sightings at Durham Park? Well, I can't say much right now, but some interesting stuff has been going on down there. Well, I guess I'll have to tune in then. (laughs) Oh, hey, um, what canoeing places are there near here? Oh, loads. 
um, Price Lake, Watauga Lake, New River. We could even take one out on the Duck Pond. Um, there's also Watauga River and Wilson Creek. And uh, I could go on for ages. Just let me know where you want to go. Today's episode is brought to you by the Hope Lab. One of the goals of the Hope Lab is to conduct research that encourages people of all ages to be active in outdoor settings. We work with students on research projects that can be honors or master's thesis. Many of our student researchers have published in scholarly journals and been recognized for their work. To learn more, visit hopelab.appstate.edu. Let's get back to the interview with Mary to see what she learned from her research and how it helped her as a professional. So I just want to ask Mary, the experience of doing your honors thesis um, and that topic with the Hope Lab, what was significant to you that you think may not have come out in your podcast or now that you're, you know, six months away from it, what did it mean to you to be able to, how does this impact you as a, as a professional or personally? Yeah. So the biggest thing and kind of just a little tangent a little bit, I went on my first outreach with Grandfather Stewardship Foundation uh, last week. And that's with a program called Wild Watch, which um, gets first graders um, trying to do more environmental education with them and getting them out of the classroom a little bit. My first outing was last week and was super stressed about it. But I kind of remembered that, thankfully, the research that we had done was with first graders. And so I was able to kind of call back a little bit and was talking to my supervisor about it a little bit. And just the amazing responses we got from their drawings was it was just fascinating because everything that happened during the program what they had looked for and really what called to them and um, with their drawings was a being outside that was fun moving around the classroom being outside that was great um but how much they looked to their classmates while yeah. they were doing this program that was amazing for me to really know that having them do this together and explore things and learn as a group and share their findings and that that's what really called to them. Mm. Um, and so I was able to kind of take that with me as I went into the, the outreach and kind of keep that in mind and really try to engage them as much as possible with each other. And um, yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing that really impacted me. Wow, that that's so cool to hear that social, you know, and you and I talked about this as you're doing the analysis that social seems very obvious that as humans, we are drawn to those social connections and that reinforces our learning or our interests and, and activities that we're in. And um, at the same time, we were both still surprised that, oh, social was really important. And I think you've hit on something is particularly like what Outdoorosity is trying to do is help people build skills in the outdoors and comfort. And also we want to build community and that social, you, you talked about boy scouts and the venture scouts and then how you welcomed new scouts in and taught them new things. And, you know, you're a part of that community before you were even in the community. And so I think that's a key thing for us in the outdoors as well. Um, so thank you for for sharing kind of that insight and how um, it played out for you and will continue to, I think, as yeah, a professional. Yeah. So we have uh, a segment at the end. It's it's kind of a version of rapid fire, and we call it getting the dirt on getting outside. 
And um, it's basically whatever comes off the top of your head and be willing to share. And then I might ask you to expand. I might not say anything. I might, I might join you in that. So the first one is what's your biggest fear when you're in the outdoors? Snakes. Holy Ooh! snakes. I am not a snake person. And like, I, I appreciate them so much. I know how much they do for the environment, but them being near me spooks me out so much. And one of the things about my job is that we have to hold snakes as part of an interpretive thing. You still do it? I I tried for the first time like a month or so ago holding a snake and I could do it for like three minutes before I was like, get this away from me. It's adorable. I love her. She's amazing. Her name's Sally and I love her to death. She's a corn snake. But just having her on me, I was like breathing in cold air. It was not great. Wow. I'm impressed. Snakes is certainly one of the number one fears that a lot of people have. And just even being in the presence of a snake, I've seen people kind of go ballistic and just they they leave the room. So the fact that you were able to hold it and at the same time hold care and concern for it at the same time recognizing I don't like it. I can't do this. All right. I had grown up with snakes too. Like my brother had some when I was in high school. There was one time that they, one of them got into my room and that probably did not help. <laughs> you found it, I take it. Yeah, my cat did. And I was like, what are you looking at? And it was uh, it was one of his snakes. So yeah, mm -hmm. in non-venomous, it was a corn snake still. So, well, ha have you in all the times that you've been, like you're at Philmont um, and the water-based one, have you come across snakes? <laughs> yes, <laughs> there was one time that I was out um, doing a sunset hike with some of my coworkers at Philmont, and we were we were walking through this like it was like knee high, like really dry grass, kind of like that alpine desert meadow kind of thing. And we were walking and I looked down, my foot was like centimeters away from this copper, not copperhead, a rattler. And it wasn't rattling. And I just <laughs> Did you like jump up or did you jump and run? I I stopped and I gave it the biggest burst that I could and like kept my eyes on the ground because they blend in so well and it was just, I don't want to hurt any of them but I also don't want to be bit <laughs> oh my gosh I'm glad that you did everything you were supposed to do uh, some people's reaction is to actually kill the snake rather than like you say recognize that hey they belong there and I can go as far away from it as possible. And um, it obviously wasn't too scared if it wasn't rattling at you. Right, right. Oh, I mean, the other thing is one of the biggest thing that this is this comes from working at the Stewardship Foundation with people who love snakes much more than I do. Um, and we'll talk about it, especially during our program, of how people can confuse corn snakes for copperheads. And so one of the big things that... Um, is a threat to, to corn snakes is just people willy-nilly, just as you said, just kind of going after them. And it's it's really sad because they're adorable and they help with rodents. Um, yeah. But I, I understand that I don't want them near me either. Yeah, there's a there's a almost human instinct to kill. But all right. So the next question is, what is your most embarrassing outdoor moment? Oh, geez. I don't know if I can talk about this, but there was, uh, I was walking back after I left a crew at Philmont and I really had to go to the bathroom. 
And um, I was in this, like, it was like a rock slide area. So it was, like, almost completely bald. And there were just a bunch of, like, small rocks everywhere. And I'm like, I can't make it past this. And I was just, like, <laughs> just over there off the trail a little bit. Just crossing my fingers that nobody would come near me. <laughs> Good did they? Nobody did, but I just remembered. I was just like looking around me. But also, um, thankfully, those mountains have cougars. And I was just constantly like, I know that they can blend in so well. And I hope just, I don't want any living thing seeing you. <laughs> I, I've totally been in this position before. Uh, I can't say that I haven't been caught. And so, you, but you know, you're right. The embarrassment, like even when I haven't been caught and you're just, you're still like, and it, it can impede your success. With oh, oh, oh. Whatever. There was another time, oh, sorry, I hit my mic. There was another time that I was in Alaska with my crew and we were doing our sea kayaking portion. <laughs> and when you're sea kayaking and you're on the, on the bank, you can go number one in the woods, but they don't want you going number two in the woods. And what you're supposed to do is go number two in the big blue. And so there I was on this bank and a boat was fine. It was awful. I was oh. like, please don't see me. But I couldn't hide. Oh my God. That's, you know, I bet the boat people looked away. <laughs> I hope so. Oh my god! No, I, I that was that was where my incident occurred too. Was when I was sea kayaking, and there's just like you say, there's just no getting away from it. At the same time, the need is so pressing. But anyway, it's a very human <laughs> thing to have to go to the bathroom. Yes, indeed. All right. So the next question is kind of like, what is your must-have piece of outdoor equipment that you never leave home without or you can't live without when you're in the outdoors? I really like bringing a journal with me whenever I go out. Um, typically, I'm good at bringing everything that I need to survive. So that's kind of my priority is kind of bringing that that journal. Um, when I was, everything's going to circle back to Felmont, but... Now that Philmont, it was suggested to us to journal. We were out there, and I still sometimes look at some of the stuff that I'd written. Yeah. And it's just a time to kind of be there. You can, you know, be with people when you're writing, or you can kind of like find a little secluded place and just reflect on the things that you're seeing, where you've been. And um, somebody asked me recently to give some advice about when they're when they are going to Philmont as a crew, and all I could remember was was really how important that was for me mm. to learn how much I could deal with my limits, my strengths, and what priorities I kind of focused on when I was when I was out there and journaling really helped me really catalog everything that I did because it's always fun to look back at what you do, but also a little deeper and see kind of what resonates resonates with you. <laughs> I think that's so powerful that you were introduced to this idea at Philmont and you continue to do it. Can I ask, you know, like when you're backpacking, everybody's worried about weight. So is your journal like a, a little tablet or is it a, a, a bound book? Like how do you carry or how do you determine what size to bring with you? 
Um, so I am not an ultra light backpacker. Um, that's never been a possibility for me. (laughs) I always bring (laughs) too much stuff. My parents had gotten me this uh, little journal that I don't, it's like a leather journal. Yeah. Probably like, I have no idea how to quantify it. Like the size of your hand or bigger, a little bit bigger than my hand. Um, I would write kind of in, in that, um, and it wasn't super heavy, but again, like everybody has different priorities when they're when they're out backpacking, whether they want some more comforts, whether they want absolutely bare minimum light camping. Um, but I like to journal, so yeah, yeah. Well, something we didn't even share. I've got one more question for you, but mm-hmm. before I do that, I do think it's important to share with the students or for the out- listeners is that didn't you work at outdoor programs as well? During your time at App State, what was the role that you had with outdoor programs? So I was just the um, kind of front desk person, person you would talk to if you were going to rent gear, sign up for trips, all that kind of stuff. The role changed a little bit over the four years that I worked there. Initially, we were fused with the climbing wall, but we ended up separating, which honestly was for the best. Mm. Um, But yeah, signing up for trips, answering questions um, and all that kind of stuff. It was really awesome. So you kind of continued your theme of helping venture scouts, and then you moved it to college and helped students who are coming in. So the last question is for here in Boone, do you have a favorite local outdoor spot that you go to on a regular basis that you'd you know that you'd want to share with the audience? Um, well, there are some like different places depending on how I'm feeling. Um, I recently moved a little bit outside of Boone, so I can't. I really liked going to the Greenway and mm. kind of like sitting out there behind the baseball fields um, with my roommate or my cat. I'm just kind of sitting out there. It was really nice to just kind of chill and be just outside without a lot of like pressure, like having to hike out anywhere. Um, but when I did want to hike out places, um, I really like the Boone Fork Trail. Mm. Um, that's a really nice. It's got kind of everything. It's got meadows, but rivers and scrambling and ladders and steps and kind of all that kind of stuff. And I know most people already know about this, but it's it's one of those that you want to keep on the down low because you don't want a bunch of other people there. Um, but for the last few years on my birthday, I'd be going out to Ruffridge to watch the sunset. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really nice place to have a cup of tea and read a little bit while the sun sets. Cool. That's a great idea. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being willing to uh, allow us to share your Mumbler podcast. <laughs> and um, the Hope Lab was very thrilled with the the work that you did with us. And in fact, we are moving forward on some of that research and going to be uh, doing some more with the drawings that <gasps> were done after we had the the bug intervention. So um, maybe we'll be sharing more about that later. Um, yes, please. Yeah. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for recording. having me. <laughs> All right. Cool. Mary's path into the outdoors has now been expanded into research. She became comfortable through venture scouting, determined she wanted to have a career in outdoor education. Then, as a part of her educational experience, she worked at outdoor programs and she jumped at the opportunity to research children's perceptions of physical activity in outdoor settings. 
there are many paths into becoming comfortable in the outdoors. Check out this episode's notes page for resources on App State's outdoor programs, employment opportunities, and venture scouting. We want to thank Mary for her willingness to share her podcast and a little bit about her journey. The Appalachian Outdoorosity podcast was created by Melissa Weddle, Becky Batista, and Joy James. We want to thank our podcast producer, Dave Blanks, from App State University Communications. We leave you with the following quote from John Muir. In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks.